All right. Well, last week we started a, no, two weeks ago, we started our summer series called Authentic. And uh, we're, we're really just going to be looking to, to talk about living an authentic life. What does it mean to be an authentic believer and follower of King Jesus? And, uh, and to do so, um, usually in the summertime, once or twice a year, I like to preach through a book of the Bible. Our authentic series, we are going to be going through the book of James. Uh, and, and James has a lot to tell us about living authentically for Jesus. Now James, uh, just as a review, James is the half-brother of Jesus. And, uh, and when Jesus was, uh, first part of his life, you know, James did not believe that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. We read this in, in John 7, that his brothers didn't believe him. But then, obviously, James got a first-person perspective, like personal perspective of Jesus, and then he saw his death, burial, and resurrection, and James became a powerful leader in the early church in the area of Jerusalem. And so the book of James uh, is James writing a letter to the, the, the early Jewish Christian followers of Jesus in the area of Jerusalem. Now, they are scattered all around the area of Jerusalem after persecution came, and one of their brothers, Stephen, was stoned to death for, for not denouncing the name of Jesus. And so when the stoning of Stephen happened, the church scattered around Jerusalem, and James is writing a letter. That's why James says like this, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And he talks about perseverance. And so in, in, uh, in the first week, First week, the message I, I entitled, The Bench Test of the Believer, like, like how you would bench test something to see where its failure points are so that you can perfect it before you, you mass produce it and put it in cars or computers or whatever it is. Well, the bench test of the believer to find out where can I be continued to be sanctified and perfected, the bench test of the believer is suffering. It's when we go through difficulties and, and, and if we persevere, perseverance leads us to hope and maturity and character and not lacking anything. How many of you have spent much of your life following Jesus trying to avoid suffering? <laughs> but suffering is a part of following Jesus. He promises us that we will face uh, hard times. So James is saying, but consider it joy. So let's have a new perspective about suffering. And the new perspective can be, okay, God, what are you teaching me? How are you trying to perfect me in this area? How are you trying to fix my anger problem? Oh, by putting somebody annoying in my pathway so I can practice patience and kindness. And then uh, last week, um, we talked about the perfect mirror. James says to get rid of all moral filth out of your life. He says the evil in this world is so prevalent. And he's writing in the early first century. Well, the evil is even more prevalent today. And, and, and then James says, hey, listen, do not merely listen to the word of God. Do not merely listen to sermons. He says, go do what it says. Because if you don't do what it says, you're deceived. You're deceived if you don't do it. And, uh, and so he, he, he puts a lot of, lot of emphasis on action. Listening and doing, I'm sorry, he says, listening to the word of God and not doing it is like looking in the mirror 
walking away and forgetting what you look like. And so last week we talked about the perfect mirror. The perfect mirror is the word of God. And like many of you this morning, you probably all looked in the mirror this morning and you saw the areas where you were ungroomed and so you, you brushed your hair, you did your makeup, or you, you, you fixed your bed head, you, you, oh, I missed a button on my shirt. Whatever. It, the mirror shows you where you've been ungroomed and unkept. You correct those things so that you're presentable. Well, the perfect mirror, the word of God, shows us all of our ungroomed areas, which is sin. He says you've got to get rid of all moral filth. So, so when we look into the perfect mirror, the word of God, the word of God will highlight the areas in us where we need to match, the we need to change what is reflected in us. Oh, I'm angry. Oh, I have, I have this issue. I need to be more forgiving. I need to be less judgmental. And we look into the perfect mirror, the, the scripture, and we align ourselves to it. That was all last week. <laughs> but today we're going to continue in the book of James. And the title is simply this. Me? Prejudice? Prejudice? Me? Maybe. Most likely. It's likely. Prejudice. James has a lot to say about these kinds of prejudice. He's writing in a time in the early church where there was a lot of sometimes social like tension because this church that he's writing to this group of people they are all Jews that have basically chosen to follow Jesus and so other Jews are like well you're not a real Jew anymore I'm a real Jew you're not and, and they're like well actually uh, as a Jew you should know that Jesus was the Messiah and so we have to go that way well then then the church also in, uh, fell into this thing where, where all along it was always like, you're either Jewish or you're not Jewish. You're a Gentile. And so there was a, a divide socially between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus had a lot to say about this issue when he lived and when he was in ministry. But, but now like the church has to deal with, okay, oh, snap, uh, Jesus was for the Jew and the Gentile. So how do we all commune together in one place and what about the Jews that, that haven't accepted Jesus, but we still go to synagogue with them? And, and oh, man, and what about, what about the Jews? What about, what, about, what about Gentiles that follow Jesus, but we're trying to make them Jewish by saying, well, you need to follow our laws for eating, and you, know, you need to be kosher, circumcised, uncircumcised. Like, there's all this tension. And, um, and so James is writing to these people because of some of the prejudice that they, they're having to deal with and to unify them in this way. So, so let, let's give ourselves the definition here of prejudice. Prejudice is a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience or evidence. So in other words, to be prejudiced against someone is that you have, you've already made up your mind about them and you don't know them. And so you might make up your mind about them based upon outward appearance. You might make up your mind about them based upon maybe the, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, accent of their voice. You might make up your mind about them because you know where they live or where they work or what they drive. These are all prejudice decisions. We have made a preconceived opinion, a judgment on, on someone else without evidence, without experience. We are assuming 
a truth without knowing the facts. It's prejudiced. Me? Prejudiced? Maybe. Maybe. James says in James chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and, and then a poor man and, uh, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in to your meeting. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, hey, here's a really good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, hey, you sit there, sit on the floor, over here by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This, so prejudice is an evil thought. To have a preconceived notion, a presupposed idea about someone based upon material things, outward appearances. Prejudice. James says, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves? Discriminating amongst ourselves only causes division when God has called us to unity. 1 Corinthians talks about that, that the church is the body of Christ, that he is the head, we are the body, and it says the body is, is, has many parts but forms one body. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The ear cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. Here's the thing. Our differences is the diversity of who God has created, each and every one of us, is what makes the body of Christ so beautiful. Many times, a healthy church is the only place where you'll find a rich man and a poor man and their best friends. Many times in the church is the, is the only place where you'll find that, that it is a place that unifies all ethnic backgrounds. And people look at that and say, the world divides people all the time on race. The world divides people on politics. The world divides people on economic status. But yet, the church is a place where all people come together in unity. Why? How does that work? Well, because we're unified in Christ. We have the same Father. And if we do this right... What James says, what Scripture says, if we do it right, the church of Jesus Christ looks more and more diverse. We're called to diversity. The Scripture says that the Jesus says, I am and the Father are one. The word is ihad. The word means, uh, it means unity in diversity. So we should be diverse. The church should be a place of people of all different ethnic backgrounds, sociological backgrounds, but we should not be diverse in theology. Why? Because we are unified in Christ. So, what, so the scripture is what unifies us, but we don't all want to be the same people. Jesus said to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. And my understanding is if you have an aquarium, you have to make sure that you put all of like similar fish together in one aquarium. Because if you put the wrong kind of fish in the wrong tank, they fight, they kill each other, they eat one another, right? It's, it's, it's a bad thing. So 
unfortunately, sometimes churches become aquariums with all the same kind of people in the... And so sometimes a fish may come into that aquarium church and go, oh, snap, I don't belong here. So they go find the aquarium where they fit in. But but the church of Jesus should be not an aquarium, but he said be fishers of men. Go into all the world, all the nations, all tribes, nations, and tongues, because the kingdom of God exists there. And so so this, this unity and diversity but we are, we're not diverse in thought because our thought is, is that our thinking is in alignment with Christ and so it's Jesus that unifies us, but we're fishers of men here. We're not keepers of the aquarium. We don't need you all to be the same, look the same. I don't need you all to act like me. That'd be quite scary. I'm enough. I'm enough. We need all the parts of the body working together. It's beautiful. And it makes a difference in our world. The world wants to divide us. The world is the one teaching us to have prejudice against one another. I mean, it's in the marketing plans of of large corporations to try to market specific demographics. Well, then that specific demographic feels better because of the product. And it's it's just that stuff doesn't belong here in the body of Christ. We should look more and more diverse, but unified in Christ. So here's what I want you to know, that God is not prejudiced. He's not prejudiced against people because he created every person. He created people in in our differences, and he called it good. He called it good. and, And for those that might struggle maybe uh, with, with the differences of people, whether character or, or ethnic backgrounds, you have to remember that it is the, you, you have to love the image of God in people. No matter what they look like, where they come from, that is the image of God on display in front of us. And we have to love them and show them mercy and, we, and, 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 not, and not think that we're necessarily different. God is not prejudiced. 2 Samuel 16, 7 when they were looking for a king, the Lord said this. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Speaking of another guy that, that, that Samuel was considering to be king, he, so ultimately he says, man, that guy is tall, he's handsome, that he, he looks like a king. And God says, uh, don't consider his height. Don't consider his appearance. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? I need need help. The Lord looks at the what? He looks at the heart. God can see the heart. Sometimes we can't see the heart. We see so we, we, we base opinions upon what we can see in the physical. But it takes, it takes wisdom to, to step back and say, what does God see here? What, what, is, what does God see? In God, because the Lord looks at the heart, and God is not prejudiced against outward appearances. And so it displeases God to judge others by their outward appearance. 
It displeases him. God says, don't do that. I don't look at that. I don't look at what you look at. I look at the heart. And so James 2, uh, this is what it says in verse 5. James says, listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom of his promised those who love him? Because again, he said, listen, you favor someone that comes in dressed nice, wearing a gold ring. You're, you're, you're showing disfavor to the poor. And James is saying, but is not the poor the rich in the faith? Are they not? And actually, I would tell you that when you read through Scripture, you'll see that the poor has a very special place in the heart of God. And that many times, the poor... Uh, they're, very, they're precious to God. They're very special to God. Jesus said in Luke 20, blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And often uh, it is the world's poor, the James says, are the richest in faith. They're the richest in faith, richest in spiritual gifts, richest in character. Why is that? Because their need, because of their need, they are also more likely to depend on God and hunger for his presence, hunger for his mercy, hunger for his help. So those that are more economically disadvantaged or depressed, many times are more, may more easily see that they cannot put their trust in material things. It's easier for those that are poor to see, I cannot put my trust in material things. So where do they put their trust? They put their trust in the Lord. You know, uh, sometimes I'm blessed to have a little bit of a perspective globally in some of the missions things that that I've been able to do. I've been in Paraguay and South America. I've been in Mexico. I've been in Haiti. And and, in this perspective, sometimes you see that you go into these very remote villages where, where, where people have nothing, and the faith that they have is astounding because they don't have access to a local uh, a general practitioner. They don't have access to an emergency room or a doctor. So they turn to God. And you'll find that the miraculous happens in some of these remote places because they're, they cannot put faith in stuff. They have to put their faith in God. And, and, and Jesus, this is what he, Jesus also says in Matthew 19. He says, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom, but it's difficult for a rich man to become, to inherit the kingdom of God. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So what's the difference? Well, it's easier for someone who is poor to depend on God, it's easier for someone that is rich to depend on their wealth. It, it takes, some, sometimes there is a dependency on stuff and things that can help mask the deeper need in your heart for the living God. Because you can fill a void for a while with stuff. You can have security and finances. And Jesus says, 
it's actually more difficult for someone that is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, is it wrong to be rich? Well, no. Is it wrong to be poor? Also, no. Is it better to be rich or is it better to be poor? It's better to have Jesus in your life. My, uh, what does it profit a man, Jesus says, to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And my dad would say it like this, how much is a dead millionaire worth? Because you can't take it with you, can you? So is it better to be rich or poor? It's better to have Jesus. And whether you're rich or you're poor, it will change your mindset on wealth in the first place. You'll likely live more generously and, and, and you are, your money isn't your identity, and your poverty isn't your identity. Your identity is found in Christ. So James is saying, listen, don't favor people because of money. God doesn't look at that stuff. Don't look at the clothes they wear and pre, prejudge them. Don't, 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 don't look at those things. Don't look at where they live or what they drive and presuppose something about them. God is not prejudiced. If it displeases God to judge others by their outward appearance, well then I would also say, number two, that showing partiality then is a sin. That it would be a sin to show partiality because we have presupposed, oh, they must have money. Or we've presupposed, oh, they must be a somebody. We've presupposed, oh, they probably have influence. We should probably give them a special seat a special, and give them a, an additional voice. I remember when I was a teenager in church, there was this lady in our church, and, and she was known for having money, this lady in our church. And uh, the church had just built this brand new facility, and uh, was big kitchen in there, and like, like all, the, all the kitchen stuff and the cabinets, and, and the youth, we held an event where we were raising money for, for missions, and so we cooked a meal for the people of our church, and, and afterward, all of my friends and I were in there doing dishes, and, you know, like, we, like you do when you're a teen, you're having some fun, and, you know, we're, I'm probably snapping someone with a towel, uh, you know, and, and we're just having a good time. We're, we're cleaning dishes. Well, this particular lady, whom I didn't know at the time, she paid for that kitchen and all the stuff in it. And here's what she said. Those teens better not be in there busting up my kitchen. And our youth pastor was a little offended by this, right? As you can imagine, like, your kitchen, well, I paid for it, and they better not ruin it, right? And sometimes there, there's this, there is this partiality favoritism that where, where, where people might think, well, I can buy my way into influence. And I'll just tell you right now, at New Life Church, you can't buy your way into influence. Like, no part, like, we... If your gift is generosity and giving, then God has given you that gift. And if it truly is a gift and your heart is right, then you give and, and no one knows what you give. It ain't my kitchen or my, you, you, right? We don't, we don't do that. We don't show partiality to someone based upon what they have or what they give. God doesn't look at that stuff. So showing partiality is a sin and James is, he's addressing this. But it's not just James. It's all the way in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus says, but love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Lord speaking. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, there was someone posing a question to Jesus. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of, of, the, of the, uh, uh, the man that was robbed and left on the side, and the good Samaritan comes and takes care of him. And he says, so who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone that needs mercy. Therefore, your neighbor, the, one that, the people you're supposed to love, is anyone. That's your neighbor. The Gospel of John says it like this, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the, the mark of an authentic follower of Jesus is the mark of love. Not just the love of people like you. The mark of an authentic follower of Jesus is can you love someone that is so different than you and so unlike you that sometimes you just feel like I don't like being in the room with them. Can you love them like you love yourself and you love God? That is a mark of a true believer. Is that we would be known, that we, they will know we are his disciples by the way that we love and a New Life Church, our mission is to love God, to love people, and love sharing God with people. That's our calling. So, so, so um, favoring people by any social status then goes against the law of Christian love. There's a Christian law of love to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Anyone who needs mercy. Anyone that you come into contact with, that is your neighbor. It's the Christian law of love. And this law of Christian love will break down and remove any social barriers. It should remove partiality. It removes favoritism. And it opens the door for the church of Jesus Christ to be complete, not missing any part of us because of we, we, are, we have unity and diversity where any social status is welcome, any ethnic background is welcome, but we are unified in the message, in the gospel, and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It is the perfect mirror, remember? So, so now, we, if we come from all different backgrounds, but we all are looking at the same perfect mirror to model our lives after, then we start getting the sin out, then we start aligning ourselves to the perfect mirror, the word of God, his ways. And what, and what does the perfect mirror really adjust? It doesn't adjust our hairstyle and our fashion. The perfect mirror adjusts our hearts. And God doesn't look at the outside, he looks at the what? He looks at the heart. So if we are a church committed to looking at the perfect mirror and adjusting our heart, well, it doesn't matter what you wear, your hairstyle, or your economic background, your ethnic background, we are unified in Christ. Isn't that good? The world has a completely different message for you. The world, has a, the world wants to divide you among your, your, your class of, of income, wants to divide you on your, the class of, of your race and gender, not in the church. 
We're unified by Christ. And our differences is what makes us beautiful. The world looks on the outside and wants to divide. We don't look on the outside. God looks at the heart, favoring people by any social status, goes against the Christian law of love. James 2, this is what it says. He continues, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is this, oh, love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting. It's, been, it's the royal law found in Scripture. We just looked at several of them, and James is referring to it. He says, if you do that, then you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And then he really lets us have it here. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. Wow. Thank you, James. Now, if I told you that we were going to have a guest speaker at New Life Church for a few weeks, and this guest speaker knew Jesus personally on earth, and this guest speaker was a leader among leaders in the early church, and that this leader ultimately ended up being martyred, killed for believing in Jesus. And I told you that he was going to have some things to say, and he was coming from heaven to, to hear, to bring a special message to us. Would you listen? I, I'd be like, we need to learn from that guy. Well, that's James. That's James. He's saying, don't merely listen to the word. Man, do what it says. And he did, and it cost him his life. He's saying, don't show favoritism. Don't, don't show partiality. It's a sin. You're doing what's right if you love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favoritism, you sin. So James, he's got some things to say to us. And the third thing I want to tell you is that if you choose to judge, then you will be judged Judge and be judged. James 2.4, this is what he says. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with what kind of thoughts? Evil thoughts. Have you not done that? Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and essentially become evil judges? Well, we know God as also a judge, don't we? God is love, God is holy, and God is just. God is a judge. But we know God as a good judge. And uh, a good judge judges fairly. Sometimes God's a good judge because he judges our, gives us fair sentencing. But sometimes a good judge isn't fair. Because sometimes we call someone a good judge because they decided that even though we're guilty, he dismissed my case. See, God's a good judge. God's a good judge because all of us were caught up in this disease called sin. And then God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, a perfect man, God himself. And his payment on the cross was the death you and I deserved to give us the freedom and the forgiveness we don't deserve. 
And that's how he showed his love to all of humanity. For God so loved that he gave his son. And now, Jesus at the cross, that one action, he took all the judgment of the whole world upon himself. So now we're free of judgment. And if we put our faith in Jesus, the scripture says that that if, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a pretty good judge, if you ask me. But when we step into the place of judge, there's a reason we do. And it's rooted in evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. When we step into the place of judge, we're ultimately saying, would you look at them? Oh, I just can't believe that they would do that. Can't believe they would parent that way. I cannot believe they would dress that way, do their hair that way. I cannot believe they live in that house. Evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. And and many times we're casting judgment because we actually just want to knock them down a couple notches because that elevates us without ever changing. So we judge others to only to maybe feel better about ourselves. I'm, well, I'm superior because I don't do that. I'm superior because I don't wear that. I'm superior because I have and they don't. Evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Just love your neighbor, church. Let's not be keepers of the aquarium. Let's not let your life group be a keeper of the aquarium. Let's go fishing for people. All people, tribes, nations, tongues. And then let's be unified when we look into the perfect mirror, the word of God, and unified in Christ. That's awesome. And that's the message that I think this Christian leader, James, would have for us today. To love your neighbor. And how do you do that? Show mercy. Show people mercy. Sometimes it's mercy to listen. Sometimes it's mercy to just, to, to just understand. I didn't grow up the way you grew up, but let me hear your story. And now let's, now, now let's apply how Jesus can make a difference in that story. I bet you have a story too. I bet your story with Jesus started when somebody showed you mercy. When somebody was merciful enough to accept you, merciful enough to believe in you, merciful enough to, to share the love to you and to show you mercy. Let's show some people mercy, man. Let's show mercy to the poor. Let's show mercy to the rich. Let's show mercy to families. Let's show mercy to married people. Let's show mercy to those that have been through the devastating work of divorce. Let's show mercy to those that have failed. Let's show mercy to those that failed again. Let's show mercy. And in doing so, their lives can be changed, hope found, relationships restored. Let's love God like crazy. That's why we worship the way we do it in your life. We love God. And let's love people, which is why we fish for men, because we love sharing God for people. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I pray that the goodness of your life 
would only be a reflection of the goodness of God. I say this all the time when I pray. But God, you're the best dad I've ever had. And thank you for showing me mercy, not being partial to me because of my mistakes, not being partial to me because of where I'm from or lack of influence, lack of popularity, whatever it may be, lack of skill, lack of talent. You're not partial to me. You show mercy to me. You believe in me. You're the best dad I've ever had. And may the fruit of our lives be a reflection of how good you are. We're going to sing one last song this morning. And I pray that, the, that God would just minister to your life, minister to your heart. And as we sing this last song, would, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just show us the areas of our life where maybe we have some prejudice towards people. And we now need to show them mercy. Let's reflect upon the word of God today as we sing one last song.